right. Uh, this morning we'll be speaking on uh, an interesting subject, and it will have to do with connecting with the mind of God. And uh, the first thing I'm going to do, all right, is uh, we're going to go into a very short lesson on uh, Greek history, uh, because I want to bring out uh, from um, historical account, we also want to bring out uh, a particular truth uh, that is contained in the book of John, when the Bible records that in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and there was nothing that was made without Him, talking about the Logos of God. And so we are connecting with the Logos of God in order to receive, all right, the thoughts will make this plain, the thoughts of God in our lives. Uh, speaking on the subject of prayer and answered to prayer, uh, what we have seen is that after you believe that you have received and you're giving God thanks daily and, and rejoicing in the fact that it is done, uh, the heavens are opened over your life and there is the uh, continuous ascension and, and descending there Right, angels are sending and descending, and they are bringing information to you, bringing thoughts from God, bringing instruction and knowledge, uh, so that when you act on those things, then that which you have believed you have received now begins to get manifest within your life. Uh, so I want to start, all right, by talking about some um, history. We talk, we talk about the Greek civilization, which is the foundation of modern civilization, and I just want to go into certain things that brought the collapse of the Greek empire there, and, and uh, glean certain things as to how uh, the name, the Logos, was given to Jesus as John spoke about it. Now, one day at the end of 432 uh, BC, uh, the citizens of Athens received some very disturbing news. And the news was that the Spartans, a city-state known for its military might, and this true story now, had arrived town and presented to the Athenians their new terms of peace. If Athens did not agree to these terms, Sparta was going to declare war. Now, Athens was known for its democracy and wealth, and they didn't want that jeopardized. So a few days later, and the Spartans were known for their military might. So this was a real threatening situation. So what they decided to do is that uh, the entire population of male or men there met at some kind of, called like a stadium. There were over 10,000 people in attendance and what they wanted to do was to brainstorm to find out, all right, what to do. Now, the hawks. And when you say hawks politically, you are talking about people, you know, that on the side, like you have the bears and the bulls in business. They're the bulls. They're the ones, all right, that want to go to war. The aggressive um, side or sector there in the community. The hawks said, we must fight and never surrender. The dove said, we must give in. But the city of Athens had a great leader by the name of Pericles, who stood up and addressed the crowd 
And this was, one, this was the man who had grown the wealth of Athens to a place where they were building for the first time museums, building theaters, building concert halls, all right, by his leadership, the finest form of architecture, right, was, was born. Things were going on. Craftsmen were thriving. Uh, through the leadership of this man, his ability, all right, to generate wealth and to invest it for the public good. Now, he had transformed the look and the spirit of Athens, and it had entered into its golden age of science and art. So he addressed them and began. My views are the same ever. I am against making any concessions to the Spartans, he said, even though I'm aware that the enthusiastic state of mind in which people are persuaded to enter a war is not retained when it comes to action. People's minds are altered by the cause of events. In other words, everybody can be saying, let us fight. Once action starts and events begin to unfold, then what you have is that people begin to change their minds about going to war. The differences, he said, between Athens and Sparta were to be settled through neutral arbitrators. He reminded them, a direct land battle with Sparta will be suicide. He proposed that let's bring everyone in the area of Athens, he said, within its walls. So get everybody to come within the walls of Athens. Let the Spartans now come from the outside and try to lure us into fighting, he said. We will not take the bait nor fight them. With our access to the sea, we will constantly have supplies coming to our land. Uh, to cut long story short, he said, why would we win? Why do I feel confident of ultimate victory? He said, what I fear is not the enemy's strategy, but our own mistake. In other words, he said, once we come in and we keep calm and we don't do anything, he said he doesn't see the strategy or the might of the enemy being able to reach them, but it's their own mistake that they will make. And this comes to tell us, and this is where we're going here, about even our own warfare. Uh, the advantage the enemy really has uh, is based on the mistakes that we make in response to him. Uh, the Bible tells us that we have an adversary who is as a roaring lion. Now, he's not really a lion, but he appears and begins to roar as a lion. Uh, he, he doesn't have, all right, that much threat, but he just begins to sound like he has so much power. When it comes to conflict of power, he knows that he will be clearly defeated. Satan knows this. That if it comes to the conflict there, all right, in terms of power, he will be defeated. But what he wants us to do is to respond to his roar, to respond to what he's doing in the environment. And when we respond and react to that emotionally, then it costs us a victory. 
What therefore brings about defeat is not the things on the outside, but things that lie on the inner side of us. When we come to understand this, then we will truly become victorious and work in unprecedented victory. In other words, it's not what the enemy does on the outside, but it's the response that we, all right, the mistake comes from our own reaction, the way and manner in which we respond to the motions and the movements there, the deceptive movements of the enemy, this is what really costs us. So if you put up John chapter 14, this is what Jesus was speaking to. He said, the prince of this world cometh, but he has nothing on the inside of me. John 14 and verse 30. It talks about the prince of this world that cometh. In other words, hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh. That's Satan now. But he says his victory lies in getting a response from within me. And he said, but he has nothing. In other words, he is going to fail. I cannot stop him from coming. That's why when we look at it really, okay, that's where we're getting to here. The prince of this world will come. Jesus said the victory is that he has nothing on the inside of me. So if he comes and defeats you, it is not because of his power, but because of something that he could still, all right, lay hold of on the inside. And this is what God was telling Paul when he said, For this thing I besought the Lord that he might depart from me. He said, Thrice I prayed about it. And, and God told him, he said, Look, uh, through this, he said, Your weakness is going to be, my strength is going to be made perfect in your weakness. In other words, everything that the enemy would have used to gain an upper hand, this is going to give me the opportunity, this is what God was telling Paul, all right, to deal with those things there. So our victory, all right, lies with us, right, having and responding correctly from within. That's why it tells us in James chapter 1 and verse 14, that when a man is tempted, it's speaking to what lies inside, but every man is tempted. All right, let's, let's look at it from verse 12. Let, let's just look at this here. It's, it talks about this. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, overcomes it. For when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Then in verse 13, it says, No man shall say, when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Which means there's nothing on the inside. You can't get a response. Neither tempted thee any man. Verse 14. But every man is tempted. When he's drawn away of his own lust. In other words, there was something on the inside of him. And he's drawn away, right, of his own lust and enticed. So the problem is not the temptation on the outside. The real problem is the loss that exists in that person. So it's like, all right, let's say the enemy is a magnetic substance, sub substance there. And he comes and you still have some magnetic substance in your own soul. He can use that to lure you. 
Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to blame your defeat on the magnetic substance on the outside or the magnetic substance on the inside of you? There is nothing you can do to stop him from coming. But there is something you can do to get rid of that substance from your soul so that when he comes, right, and he moves, he doesn't get any response from the inside. So he runs there, and there's no response that comes. It's like you are dead to that particular thing, and you are non-responsive. So what we're establishing as we build this here is that, right, the, the defeat is not on the outside. The defeat really is on the inside. And once we understand that and can address that, then we can get to a place of total victory. Now, so what happened as we continue the story here, with that in mind, right, in this Greek empire here, what happened was, as they implemented pericles strategy, all right, or per, uh, pericles strategy, as they implemented it, to stay within and not to respond to what the, the enemy, the Spartans, were doing outside. Unfortunately, a plague broke out, and many people within the wall now got infected, including, all right, Pericles, and he died. Now, once that happened, and a great number of people died, Athens decided in anger, after such a loss, to attack. Uh, this is why it tells us in James, be quick to hear, slow to speak. All right, slow to respond and slow to anger. Because what really defeats us is an emotional response, which is a reaction to the things that are happening. If that can be eliminated and we come to a place of stillness and quietness, or we enter into what is called the rest of God concerning that thing, you cannot be defeated by the enemy. So Athens decided in anger after such a loss to attack. And they did, and began to win a few battles, but eventually they overreached, lost the war. Athens was conquered by the Spartans, and that was the end of that civilization. Now it was believed that if Pericles did not die, they simply will not have lost. Now this gets to my point. What did Pericles know and understand that brought such great growth to Athens? All right, what did he know and what did he as a person understand? It is hard and impossible to learn the lessons when we should, when we don't look or inward for the true cause, but we look on the outside. Uh, so when people say, you know, I'm stagnated in business, things are not working out in my marriage, and you keep looking on the outside. Now, this is very fundamental. You keep looking on the outside. You keep blaming it on things on the outside. Then there's going to be no real growth, and there's going to be no real development in the life, all right, of that particular person. Uh, the, the, the platform for growth is when a person assumes responsibility and says it is not emotion of the enemy on the outside, 
but the kind of reaction that is getting on the inside of me, that is what is bringing about the defeat. And that I can control and that I can master. That's why the Bible says a man that has no rule over his spirit. Now listen, he's like a broken city, a city without walls. It talks about the fact that there's more in the future of a fool than a man who hasn't mastered that. So if, all right, we leave that to run, what is on the inside, and we keep looking on the outside, then there'll be no real progress. So, so long as a man attributed, this is what Pericles understood, that he attributed his defeat to outward things, he was unlikely to make progress. So long as he was doing the blame game, so long as he was saying it was this, so long as an Adam started it, it was the woman that you gave me. So long as there is that blame game that is actually going on, there will, it is very unlikely that that individual will make prog progress. And unfortunately for us, particularly in this part of the world, we have built Christianity on attributing our failures to external things. All right, we blame the devil. All right, we, and by that, right, and blame him, blame other things. We get superstitions, right? We say that the reason why this happened is because, uh, you know, a black cat ran across the road. We, we begin to look for excuses on the outside, and that stops the inward development. And by that, we haven't grown, all right, stronger. I mean, if we put up Job chapter 35, God was speaking about oppression, which means people were being oppressed and they prayed. And God said, this is a prayer, Job 35 and verse 9, sorry, Job 35 and verse 9. And he said, he says, by reason of the multitude of oppressions, they make the oppressed to cry, which means an oppressor is causing them to cry. He says, they cry out by reason of the arm of the mighty, which means they cry that the arm of the mighty this is oppression. But look at what God says in verse 10. He says, but none saith, which means they cry, deliver us, deliver us. We are being oppressed. He says, but none saith, where is God my maker? Who giveth songs in the night? Which means he lives the night, but he gives you songs. Brings you to a place where you are singing. Verse 11. Who teacheth us more than the beasts of the earth? And makes us wiser than the fowls of the heaven. In other words, he says that this is how I'm going to deliver you from the oppressor. I will make you wiser. I won't kill the oppressor. I won't stop that oppressive force and just remove it. If I do that, he's saying this, there will be no change or transformation in your life. What I'm going to do, and this is the prayer you should pray. You shouldn't ask that I remove the oppressor. As Paul was praying, let this thing depart from me. He said, listen, the oppressor can only oppress you because of the ignorance. Now, whether you like it or not, he says, I have information I can give to you. It's because of the ignorance. So a person can say, well, the circumstance in Nigeria, you know, is defeating me. The environment, he says, the environment, I'm still coming back to that, cannot defeat you. It is the ignorance of certain high-level forms of wisdom and practical insight to life that you lack 
That is what is causing the defeat. It says, who teacheth us to be, to teach us more than the beasts of the earth. In other words, you know more than all the beasts around. So the beasts know things, but you have been taught more than them. They have learned certain things they are using to oppress, but you have just been taught beyond them. And maketh us wiser than the fowls of the heaven. Verse 12. It says, there they cry, but none giveth answer. In other words, they are crying and say, why are we not getting any results? Saying, deliver us. It says, because of the pride of evil men. In other words, what they are saying is there's nothing wrong with us. All right, we just have this thing on the outside. We are okay. All right, it's some force on the outside. And God said, listen, there's a standard of wisdom I want to give to you. And that's what God told Paul. There's inside I want to give to you so that you grow wiser than it. So all the challenges that are in your way, God wants to teach you. He, he doesn't want to remove the challenge because once you remove the challenge, you've removed the growth opportunity. And this is what this man knew. I'll get in there here. That listen, that brought progress, that made uh, um, the Greek empire that foundation of civilization. They got to a point where they looked at it and then they said, all right, I mean, uh, they say it this way, that there were three men, all right, uh, and one was a Jew, uh, one was a, a, a monk, all right, and one was a Catholic. And then they said, God came and announced to them, and this kind of mind you should have. And God announced to them and said, listen, the flood is coming in seven days. And then the Catholic man said, well, let's confess our sins so that when the flood kills us, then we'll go straight to heaven. Uh, the monk said, what is monk there said, let us spend time meditating and connecting with the realm of the spirit so we are carried away by the flood with that. And then the Jewish man said, what God has just told us is that he has given us seven days here. How gracious of him to find out how to live underwater when the flood comes. In other words, is the mindset. is the way you approach things. All right? He didn't pray that the flood should not come. He prayed that God will make him wiser, which means to find out the solution to the problem. So anything that comes from the outside, he says, you go deeper into the wisdom of God and not just react emotionally there. That's why he says, the wrath of man, an emotional reaction will not work the righteousness of God. So when he talks about the pride of evil men there, is that in pride they say, we, we, are, we are good. It's what's on the outside that is bad. I'm good in the marriage, is the partner that is bad. I'm, I'm right in the business, it's the environment that is bad. And he says that pride there, which means that, that I need no improvement, I need no change, right? Now, if you are in a situation we'll get to this, it's because God says through this, we're going to give you some level of insight and clean certain things on the inside of yourself. Thank you for listening.